Good morning, everyone. Thank you all for coming and joining us here today as we gather for the worship of God. It is a beautiful day and a good time for us to be together as family of faith. And I thank you for coming to be part of this. If this is your first time here, welcome. We are glad to have you. Uh, there should be a connect card in the pew rack in front of you. We would ask you to take that and fill it out and drop it in the offering plate. If you're joining us via live stream, welcome. We are glad to have you as well. You can go to the address you'll see on your screen and write us and let us know that you've been with us. If you have prayer concerns, please write us and we will be happy to respond to it. But we're glad that you've joined us as well and we look forward to all of us being able to worship and celebrate together. We are a church that has long been known as the Church of Missions and we are delighted to be able to, to uh, recognize and welcome Larry and Sarah Ballou. They have long been some of our sponsored missionaries to Macau and they are going to come and share with us a little bit this morning as they began and I told them to do far more than a mission moment. So we're glad to have them. at the same time we're like what do we do with this rope we had six feet of rope we were like we need to do something special we want to frame it we remember what the church has done to support us and we're and they're going to hold the rope for us and so we asked a bunch of people what is it how do you write the characters for prayer uh, wow, I was gonna have, we were going to have to cut the rope. We didn't want to cut the rope. We wanted the rope to be long. So we kept asking people as we're learning the language. And finally, a local Chinese pastor came to us and said, I had a dream about your rope. And God gave me this poem. And he told us what the poem was. And it meant that uh, this, the exact 
story about what had happened, the commitment that we made together. And we have that still hanging in our, in our apartment in Macau. And um, it reminds us, and every time anybody comes to our house, it's a, it's a testimony. We, many of them are not Christians, so we're able to take them and show them this, this wall hanging and say, this is what a church is doing for us. They're praying for us. They're holding the rope for us so we can be here. And it is so meaningful. I, I can't tell you what that means to us. Um, we had to write a lot of this out because we're a bit emotional today. And we wanted to make sure that our emotions didn't overtake us in our sharing. So in 1996, you sent us out. You've been holding the rope. It's not just a, a support for us, but as Sarah said, it's been a testimony to the people in Macau of your love and your commitment to the love of Jesus and to sharing that love around the world. Since um, late in the 1990s, we've been working uh, to serve the servers in Macau, people in the hospitality industry, guest workers, uh, men and women who have come from different places into the city to work there in hotels, restaurants, as domestic workers. And um, as Macau grew, when we first went to Macau, it's not the same city as it is now. It has grown into the Las Vegas of Asia, and we seemingly had no end of guest workers that we could reach. Uh, we used uh, English classes and Bible studies and different outreach events. Every Christmas, we made thousands of cookies and took them around to shops and gave them out with uh, a blessing, a Christmas blessing, and a Christmas message. Over the years, I, we have no idea, but we know that we connected with hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of people in our city through these different aspects of ministry and through these different um, just avenues of loving people and connecting with people. Uh, but then, uh, about three and a half years ago, COVID-19 happened, and it crushed our ministry, basically. We had to start over. Uh, the hotels and the restaurants emptied out. People were sent back to their countries, uh, back home to China, and all of the friends and all of the connections we were, had been building uh, were gone. And our opportunity, we couldn't do things the same way. We couldn't uh, minister the same way we had, had been doing for 20 years, and we had to find something new to do. So over the past couple of years, we have uh, been reaching a different group of people in Macau. Um, not so, still, still reaching out to people in restaurants and hotels, and, and I'll say that it's that part of Macau life is starting to come back, but, but not even close to what it had been just four years ago. Um, and we started working with a different group of guest workers, domestic workers, people who are taking care of children, taking care of the elderly, cooking and cleaning, going to the market and buying food for families. Um, this is a really challenging job for them. Uh, they are, these people are oftentimes hidden to society. They are here in the United States. Uh, they are here, they're there in Macau. They're everywhere, but they're difficult to see. One of the things we learned that uh, COVID did was it stripped away some of the barriers to seeing them. And we started to see them and see them as people and see how we could minister to them. We have been working with uh, people from Indonesia and from China and from the Philippines, from Nepal and from Bangladesh, uh, sometimes Thailand, different people who have come into our city from Myanmar and different tribes of people from Myanmar who are working there. And God has, where one door had been 
completely close with a certain group of people, we've found this other opportunity and uh, have been able to minister to them. At the, if you were at the Sunday school time, we shared some more about that and about how God has allowed us to, to serve them. But we also shared that God has been doing something new in us. And um, um, this new thing that God is doing in us has really been challenging too. God has called us to, to step away from Macau, to leave the city and the people that we've grown to love and that have just been our home. Uh, when we left here in May of 1996, our sons were four and not yet two years old. And now they are 31 and 29 and they're married and they have their own lives. And we raised them in Macau and we sent them out of Macau to, to live. And uh, we were able to stay there all these years because of your support and uh, because of your prayers. And it has been a place that God has, has spoken to us, has made, um, made us be at home so that we could help others to experience hospitality there. And we thank you. We thank you for your support. Um, we want to be really clear. Even though we're stepping away from Macau, we are not retiring. Um, we will one day. Retirement is a real thing. And um, uh, we talk about that, but not now. What we're doing is uh, we are listening and trying to find out where God would have us go next. God made it clear to us that he wants us to step away from Macau. And through our spirits and through counsel with other people uh, and through our local church who affirmed what God was doing in our lives. Um, and it, is, it has been really difficult. So we're not retiring. We're simply being led to a new place where we trust we will find a, a new way of loving God and loving others, of finding other people to serve and to minister to. A part, a thing that allows us to do this, um, I think, in faith, is your support and your love. We trust that as you have been faithful to hold the rope for us all of these years, we can count on you to keep holding the rope for us, to be faithful rope holders through our transition until God reveals where and who he wants us to serve. Just like 27 years ago, we are still committed to going. And we thank you for your continuing commitment to holding the ropes so, and sending us out and being a part of what God is doing in our lives and through our lives, not here, but over there, wherever there may be. Thank you so much. Uh, we know that this probably maybe, maybe leaves some questions and we want to talk to, with you about whatever questions you might have. Um, so we are available and if you have any question, please let us know. Um, if you want to be on our prayer update, if you're not getting that, please let us know that too. We have a website and also email, and there's some Facebook stuff uh, that we can get you uh, signed up for so that you can see what God is continuing to do in our lives. The verse that has been uh, an anchor for me this year for us is uh, out of Revelation 21, verse 5. Jesus says, uh, I am making all things new. And we are trusting that even now, Jesus is making things new for us in a way that is going to be a blessing 
and that is going to um, be just as fulfilling as the past 27 years have been. Thank you very much for continuing in your commitment to holding tight the rope in faith and love. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you for all that you have done over the years to love us and to support us and to be a part of what God is doing through us on the other side of the world in Macau, China. Thank you very much. Thank you for your work and for all that you've done. They're going to be moving to Birmingham, England to be near one of their sons. So radical that's going to be there. And so we'll be in prayer for you during that time. And thank you for the service that you've given. We appreciate that more than you know. Uh, I had promised Frank Lyon, who is here this morning, that I would offer a word of thanks. Frank and his wife, Sarah, were members of our church. He lost his wife just a few weeks ago. He wanted me to thank the church for all that you've done to try to support them during this time. And for a number of our church members who helped him with a large yard sale yesterday that was very successful. So, Frank, you are still in our prayers, and we will try to be as much support to you as we can. God bless you, brother. And we, we hope that uh, the months ahead are going to be good ones for you as we try to support you as much as we can. Tim Sador and Patricia are with us today. Uh, they were they taught at Virginia Tech when I first met them, were members of this church, and then uh, they fell from grace and left us. And so <laughs> they actually moved to New York City where, where Tim, and, where they both teach uh, English there. And uh, Tim is also a campus minister there. We ordained him to the ministry to be a campus minister there in New York City. And they have come back for what they call their annual pilgrimage to be with us. And Tim's going to be bringing our message today. Thank you. We're glad that you're here. We have gathered here to worship. Let's join our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we thank you for this day. We ask your blessings upon everything that has happened and will happen through this church. We know, O oh God, that your spirit is with us in power and in strength, and we know that you have come to meet us here as we have gathered. Let your spirit fall upon us and help us to worship you fully and completely. Help us to expect you to do things through this service that we would never have imagined without you. Come to us, O oh Lord Jesus. And help us to praise you well, for it is in your name we offer our prayer. Amen. Let's stand and sing.
Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. someone that you just grabbed him in a big bear hug. Um, maybe we've seen it in a, a small child who is so excited to see grandma and grandpa. Or you've seen it at the airport when family members are reunited after someone has returned from military duty. There is a painting that I have seen on the internet a few times. It's called First Day in Heaven. And we've got an image of that painting. I'm going to I love how vividly this painting captures the joy of both Jesus and his follower. You know, we began our worship today by asking God to open up the heavens and show us his glory. And then we sang that we know Jesus lives because we can see and feel the evidence of him with us every day. He really is here, revealing his glory, demonstrating his love for us in big and small ways all day long, every day. But you know, sometimes I get so caught up in the dailiness of things that I either take it for granted or I miss it completely. How much more joyful would our lives be if we paid more attention and we celebrated the times when God shows up in our lives by running into the arms of the one who loves us more than we can even comprehend. You are good, you are good when there's nothing good in me. You are love, you are love on display for all to see you are light you are light when the darkness closes in you are hope you are hope you have covered all my sin you are peace you are peace when my fear is crippling you are true you are true, even in my wandering. You are joy, you are joy, you're the reason that I sing. You are life, you are life, in you death has lost its sting. Oh, I'm running to your arms, I'm running to your arms.
God, it's good to be in this place together as brothers and sisters in Christ, to come together on this Sabbath day that you have set aside for us together as a community of faith. We thank you that you're with us as we sing together, as we pray together, as we hear the proclamation of your word. And as we have heard testimony of how you're using two people to share the gospel with others around the world. Oh God, your joy is our strength. Your joy is our shield. You are our provider. You are our protector. You are our very present help in times of trouble and difficulty. And when we lift our eyes up to the mountains as we do each day here in the New River Valley, we realize you are the one who made those mountains. So as we worship you this morning, we come before you in awe. We come before you in wonder that you love us and that you care for us the way that you do. You know our inner beings better than we even know ourselves. You know uh, the times that we often make a muddle of our lives. You know about the relationships that we have failed to maintain. You know about the gifts that you've given us that we have sometimes squandered. You know about our bodies that we have often abused. And you know about the mysteries of your kingdom that we have ignored yet you have continued to care for us 
and to be there when we needed you. And so we express our gratitude to you. And we thank you. We thank you and we praise you for Jesus, the Christ, the firstborn of all creation, the one who was before all things and through him all things have been created on, in heaven and on this earth and in him all things are held together. We thank you for his light that came and dwelt among us for the blessings that flow from this, his life and his ministry, from his death and his resurrection. And we pray that you would remind us again and again, O oh God, that his light still shines forth in this world and that we are the people of the resurrection. We are Easter people that were formed for life, not death, for joy and not despair. Grant, O oh God, that whenever your church is gathered, as it is this very morning, that there may be a sense of triumph and a sense of eternity. Let your eternal peace reign this morning in our lives, and may it reign in the lives of those who we know and love, who face difficult circumstances that life sometimes brings us. Make us aware of the everlasting arms that support us and lift us up every day. Bestow hope and calmness of spirit in us. Oh God, may your spirit comfort and strengthen us during these days. Let the joy that is set before us outweigh any sorrow or any sadness that we may have. May the peace of Christ break out in our hearts and may the peace of Christ break out in this world that can be so full of violence and corruption and hate and hypocrisy and injustice. Make us, O oh God, your servants to those who are poor, those who are hungry, those who are broken and disfavored, those who are lonely and oppressed. And may our hearts yield to your spirit that we may know your will and that we may follow your ways and having worshiped you in this place, this very hour, that we would go from here prepared to offer our spiritual service of worship in the days ahead. This is our prayer, O oh God, and we offer it in the name of Jesus, the one who taught his disciples to pray and who teaches us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus, my. 
So, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we meet again. And as Tommy said, many of you know that Patricia and I left Blacksburg for New York City some years ago to teach English at our respective universities and by God's grace to engage in campus and urban ministries. In the Old Testament book of Jonah, a prophet by that name was sent to Nineveh, that great city, to preach. And I, but I dare say that if Jonah were sent to a great city to preach today, he would be sent to New York City. But not just because of its great evil, also because of its great souls. I love that great city. It is unclean, and it is unsafe, and it is crowded, but it is also dramatic and majestic. The late pastor and writer, Tim Keller, once noted that while there are 6,000 people per square mile in the city of Atlanta and over 12,000 people per square mile in the city of Philadelphia, there are 60,000 people per square mile in Manhattan, 60,000 persons each bearing the image of God. I have been blessed beyond measure to work in the field of souls in that great city, to have been ordained to that ministry by this church to do so and to return this morning to be in this sacred space with you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, bless these words as your words for your daughters and sons in Christ. Amen. The verse to which I would like to direct your attention this morning is taken from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. My friends, my beloved, blessed, sophisticated, educated brothers and sisters in Christ, the idea that the Bible is hard to read is, I believe, overstated. I will grant you that it is profound, often deep, sometimes mysterious, but nothing could be more clear or profound than even the King James Version in this opening sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This verse is what great literature is. Everything we need to know is here. God created, God is in control. He is the engineer of creation, the architect, artist, artisan, dramatist, author, prophet, priest, and king. He is the author of all that is and all that will be. He breathes us into being. He creates us in his image. He is the God. He is the personal God. He is our confidant and counselor, our savior and redeemer. Finally, he is the unsurpassable, ineffable, consummate worship leader. Creation is complete in worship, in the creation story, when, quote, 
God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. All of this is on page one. Seven words in Hebrew to begin. Seven paragraphs that follow. Seven days in the creation. All is well. And then, all is not well. By God's mysterious providence, sin enters the world. Our Bible plunges into a thousand-page landscape of stories, history, poetry, dramatic highs and lows and reversals, preaching, prayers, characters, great passions, great love, cosmic betrayals. It may seem disjointed or elusive or irrelevant, but this book is sublime. It's sublime from Genesis to Revelation, it moves, it works, it begins in worship in Genesis, and it ends in worship in Revelation. All will end well. I have to speak about the end times because I wanted to preach about the end times this morning. I conceived the whole of this sermon last summer after preaching here, somewhere around Buchanan or Lexington, as Patricia and I were driving north for home. I thought I should preach about Revelation, about the end times, because I'm qualified to preach about the end times. All my life, I've heard about the end times. I'm old enough to remember the threat of the Soviet Union and Israel, mentions of wars and rumors of wars, and Gog and Magog and Armageddon in the sermons of faithful, conscientious men who believed that the end times had come. My generation grew up with the Cold War, the Vietnam War, scandals, assassinations, and civil strife. My parents' generation, and some of them are still here, God bless them, grew up in the shadow of the First World War. They lived through the Great Depression, World War II, the Cold War, the Vietnam War. Some of our 19th century ancestors believed that the American Civil War was surely a sign of the end times. The nation was coming apart in the 1850s and 1860s. Jonathan Edwards, that fine American theologian, believed that the French and Indian War was apocalyptic because great nations were warring across oceans and continents in the 18th century. Martin Luther believed that the Protestant Reformation was the beginning of the end times because the church was splitting apart in the 16th century. I do not say this to disparage or dismiss their concerns. I am not in the trenches of the Somme River during World War I in 1916, or at the massacre at Cotton in 1939, or at Pearl Harbor in 1941, or the destruction of Warsaw in 1944, or Auschwitz, or Berlin, or Hiroshima in 1945. But if I were, I can imagine them as signs of the end times. We have our own uncertainties. Justly so. I do not dismiss concerns about the environment or the climate or nuclear weapons because the Bible assures us that the earth will pass away. The Bible tells us that heaven and earth will pass away. The book of Isaiah gives us the word on this. Isaiah 51, 6. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. But God... But God, salvation will last forever. His righteousness will never fail. 
the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ, at Matthew chapter 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. God created. God is in control. We need this sanctuary. We need this book. We need these Lord's Day worship reminders of who we are in Christ. Remember who you are in Christ and where you came from as a son and daughter of the living God because our faith falters. Herman Melville, the American novelist who wrote what is arguably the great American novel, Moby Dick, missed that. He missed it. He wrote the great American novel, but he missed it. By his own admission, he could neither, quote, neither believe nor be uncomfortable with unbelief. He couldn't get what this service of worship is, a, is about. The key to this great novel is this sentence. He writes of the image of the ungraspable, ungraspable phantom of life, and this is the key to it all, the ungraspable phantom. He couldn't get, every, get it, but everything, everything is here. God created, God is in control. Which brings me to Andy Warhol. That name may not be familiar to everyone here, but Andy Warhol was quite the phenomenon as an artist in the 1960s. He was internationally famous. He was internationally influential. He lived a dissolute, even scandalous life, but he was a serious artist. And of his neighborhood in Pittsburgh, where he grew up and I grew up, and of his ethnic background, which I share on my father's side, he once said, quote, I come from nowhere. I come from nowhere. Ethnically speaking, there's something nondescript, even insignificant about his people, who are also my people. Outsiders, if they gave any thought to them at all, thought his nowhere people were either Ukrainian or Russian or Rusnak or Ruthenian or Slavic or Slavish. Carpatho-Ruthenian is most accurate, but who are they? What have they done? After all, the Italians have sculptors and poets like Michelangelo and Dante, and the Poles have science and music, Copernicus and Chopin. The Russians have Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and Tchaikovsky. The Irish have James Joyce. The Scots have Robbie Burns. The English have Shakespeare. The French have Moliere. And you all, if I may say, have Faulkner and Flannery O'Connor and others. And I could go on, of course, but I come from the same kind of nowhere neighborhood and the same nondescript ethnic background as Andy. Andy and I come from nowhere. I say that, but Andy Warhol bore the image of God. And, pardon me, more to come. He was raised Byzantine Catholic, not Roman Catholic, but Byzantine Catholic, with its focus on icons and images. Warhol drew images and etchings, icons. It was pop 
art, but one of his gifts as an artist was to make the common uncommon, to make the common into the distinctive. At some level, his artistry bore the consciousness of the image of God in his soul. No one is from nowhere. No one is nobody. There is no nothing, and there is no nowhere. God is with us. God created. God is in control. Every detail matters. There are no idle brushstrokes. Sure, it's possible to be the bartender in Ernest Hemingway's short story, A Clean, Well-Lighted Place. When he looks out into the late-night darkness of a cantina and sees neither hope nor any signs of life in the darkness, reduced to despair, he declares that, quote, all, it's all a nothingness in this life and beyond, das nicht, the nothingness, our nada, who art in nada, he declares. That is, our nothing, who art in nothing. Nada be thy nada, he continues. This passage is profane and offensive and untrue, but it's also ironic. It's ironic that a man bearing the image of God, given life through the breath of God, should declare that there is no God by that same breath, but he does. Even here, Reduced to despair, he could not escape the form, the framework of language that led him to God's word. God is in the word. God is in the silence. We doubt, we fear, or we dismiss. God is merciful. God can deliver us from our doubts and fears. What is the highest method of knowing something? I submit to you, the highest source of truth we can possibly have is the Word of God. The testimony of the Word of God is higher than rational deduction, higher than empirical evidence, higher than historical testimony. The Bible surpasses any epistemological source known to human science or investigation. Another generation's preacher, whom I respect, once declared that the man is the message. The man is not the message. I am not the message. Even excellent pastors are not the message. Christ himself, walking through the congregation as the word is the message. Tommy brings us the message. Don McKinney brings us the message. Mike Lee brings us the message. Jesus Christ is the Word, the Word, the Word with us. The sanctuary brings us into that presence. We may see it dimly, but the Word, the Word is here. I have one image to that effect, and this is not a sports analogy. The subway, the New York City subway, the four train, is elevated above ground in the Bronx. I know each st subway stop well. Burnside Avenue, 176th, Mount Eden, Eden Avenue, 170th, 161st, 167th Street, and 161st Street. 161st Street, the train rolls past Yankee Stadium. A design feature of that stadium is a deliberate gap 
at 161st Street, one can see inside Yankee Stadium, left to right, as the train rolls past. The infield, the third baseline, the outfield, and the outfield stands, and that's it. One long second. It is a charming glimpse. Here, in this sanctuary, we have a glimpse, a glimpse of heaven, a view from here to eternity. It is fragmentary. It is incomplete. But it is here. I so value this space to be in worship with you. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we have confidence, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. My father once told me that during a service in the Army Air Force during World War II, boot camp, if you will, there were times when he felt harassed or overwhelmed. However, the chaplain held the base chapel, a sanctuary, as a place apart, a safe space. You can always come here, the chaplain said. You can always come here. We need this space. I have two images and a conclusion. Image one, Patricia and I are in a large cathedral-like setting for worship. It's a few months ago. Very high church, very beautiful, a lot of incense. For a few moments, in the silence, just after communion, clouds of incense drift across the front of the church, the, the transept, if you can imagine, in sunlight as it happens. It's that time of day. It was that time of year, filtered through stained glass windows. It was very beautiful. No one says a word. The church is beautiful. The image is glorious, but the silence is holy. That's image number one. Incense and light and holy silence in worship. Life, death, life in communion together. Image two, the life, death, life experience of men who flew aircraft in combat missions together during World War II and faced death together and lived through it together. It was the band of brothers experience that you may have heard of, a life, death, life experience, and with it, a deeply felt love with every other man on the plane and with the plane itself, one flyer observes. Facing death together is perhaps the strongest ties, strongest of all ties among men. I dare say that we here have the same ties. Indeed, I would say we have the strongest of all ties. We're not airmen. We are not flying B-17 bombers over Europe during World War II, but we too live on a threshold between life and death. This is a safe space. All are welcome, but worship brings us to the brink of eternity. We gather to remember the drama of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ our brother, Christ our Lord. We reenact the drama of the creation story when we engage in worship. If I may put it this way,
The resurrection of Jesus Christ brings us to a new creation, the eighth-day divine sequel to the creation story in Genesis, the Lord's Day. God created. God is in control. The form for the baptism of infants in the Dutch Reformed tradition declares that, quote, this life is nothing but a constant dying, unquote. A medieval Gregorian chant recursively declares these words from the Latin, media vita and morte sumus. In the midst of life, we are in death. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, even when we were dead in sins, brought us to life in Christ. By grace, we are saved. One theologian writes that we rightly sense that death is at the center of love. And that seems very strong. Death at the center of love? No. Hear this from Song of Songs, chapter 6. Love is stronger than death. Without God's love, we are lost. In Christ, in our union with Christ, we are found, eternally found. That bond will not and cannot be broken. He will not let us go. His love will not forsake us. Everyone should feel welcome here. But we will walk in unsafe spaces. We will walk for the, through the valley of the shadow of death. God, however, God will go with us. Listen to the psalmist at, at Psalm 23 in the old King James Version. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. A moment ago, I mentioned the medieval Gregorian chant, media vita in morte, morte sumus. That is, in the midst of life, we are in death. Mercifully, Martin Luther gives us the final word. He does so by way of Genesis <clears throat> chapter 22. The sacrifice of Isaac, the climactic moment when Abraham binds his son Isaac as a participant in a sacrifice, but God intervenes. As translated, Luther declares, the father raised the knife, the boy bared his throat. If God had slept an instant, the lad would have been dead, but God was watching and all the angels. The father raised his knife, the boy did not wince. The angel cried, Abraham, Abraham, see how divine majesty is at hand in the hour of our death. We say, in the midst of life we die. God answers, no. In the midst of death, we live. <clears throat> and this is what I drove 414 miles to tell you this morning. The world threatens to crush you and me every minute of our lives, quote. It hurls insults, tribulations, pain, death, all the things that rob us of the joy that should be ours in Christ. It isn't because we have the power to defeat powers and principalities that we can defeat this. We don't. It is because Jesus Christ overcame the world for us. Hear these words, chapter, Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 
And now may the grace of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit, abide and continue with us this day and in the remainder of this life until we shall be with him in the glory evermost. Amen.
thank you very much, Sonia. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for being with us again this year. We always look forward to seeing you all, and we're glad that you are with us today. As we leave this place today, let's go into our world knowing very well that we are in the battle with death, but God has control. God shines through us when we let him. Let's do the best that we can to show his love to the world and to show hope to the world around us. Now may the Lord bless and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace this day and every day, now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you, everyone.